Hello again and welcome to From the BOLN, the Burnley podcast. My name's Simon Evans and I'm here with Justin Connolly and Chris Borden this week. And uh, Paul Woodhouse can't join us and uh, Greavesy is also on his travels. We're going to have a quick word with Greavesy from something we prepared earlier soon. But uh, how are you doing, fellas? Are you all right? Very well, thank, thank you, Simon. Yeah, all, all, all well here. Good, good, good. So, yeah, the action is underway. It feels a little bit sooner than uh, we were expecting, but some of the pre-season friendlies are underway and it's, starting to feel, it's all starting to feel a little bit realer now and a little bit less of a sort of abstract that we've had these discussions about signings and ideas and all sorts of things. So Burnley were back in action at the weekend at Genk and then away at Benfica on the second leg of their European tour. So I spoke to Greavesy. Uh, a little bit earlier and got his thoughts because he watched both those games pretty closely. And uh, I asked him what he thought about uh, Burnley's first impressions. So, Andrew, uh, two friendlies uh, in the past days for Burnley, really starting to step up the preparations now. I know you were able to watch a, a bit of the Genk action as well as the Benfica one, which I think many more of us saw. But what was your impressions overall from those first uh, two games? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that kind of Genk, you know, the club made it as difficult. Well, not not Burnley necessarily, but it was difficult to watch. So hats off to Kyle Walker 98 on Instagram, who uh, like an absolute warrior was live streaming from the away end for most of the game, which was uh, which was quite a good way of watching it. Um, I, it was a bit weird, really, seeing those two games, because I think if you were to look at the starting 11s, you'd probably expect the Genk starting 11 to be more closely aligned with what we might expect to start against Man right. City in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but actually, the Benfica performance was just incredible. I mean, Genk, like you said, very limited kind of um, viewing of that game, but it felt a bit ragged. It felt a bit, you know, like a first pre-season game in a proper stadium, you know, I thought we were decent first half, created some chances, perhaps unlucky to, to kind of go behind Trafford in his first game, perhaps didn't cover himself in glory, kind of getting under a cross and, you know, um, Genk taking an early lead. Um, but the Benfica game, wow, I mean, you know, you've got to pinch yourself really. You know, they were, what, Champions League quarter-finalists, Portuguese champions, yeah, decent side, beat them with you know, to to be slightly cheeky with our kind of second string to a certain extent. Um but Oh yeah, when you saw the lineup at the start when you saw the lineup at the start you thought, ooh, this is a bit risky playing so many, you know, um uh, players who we don't expect to start against Manchester City yeah. when we're playing against the Champions League team here. But actually we did more than handled ourselves well, didn't we? I mean almost I dominated. Yeah, I thought we were superb. I mean, kind of, you looked at that back line and you were kind of right. What What's the setup here? Alda Keel. I mean, we've talked about Alda Keel quite a bit, but I mean, what a player, you know, right back in that first half. Just looked, just looked superb. Looked, you know, he's so comfortable on the ball. He's got so much time on the ball. Ekdal, you know, superb at centre half. Murich, I mean, just that first half for Murich, you know, there were a couple of flashes in the second half. Um, but the first half, I mean, he comes out well out of his area to collect a ball, nice and calm. It's a double save. It's another save later on. He's coming for crosses. I mean, I think everyone thought it was a foregone conclusion that Murich was on his way to Turkey and Trafford was going to start as, as number one. But 
I'm not sure that he, yeah, I'm not sure he will. You know what I mean? I think mm. Murich, you know, I think you were joking on our WhatsApp group. Murich saw the Trafford announcement and chose, you know, vengeance, and he was just he was just incredible. But that's what company wants, isn't he? He wants two two goalkeepers going hammer and tongs to get that that number one spot. Yeah, we'll get into the Murich thing in a, a little bit later because I think it is going to be like a big, big decision that for company. But there was also on the team sheet a player uh, listed as trialist. They used to be called A and Other at one time in, in some yeah. forms of football. But um, what was your impression of trialist? Yeah, very proud moment for the the trialist family getting another getting another <laughs> one of their uh, their their their, uh, their kids into a starting eleven. But yeah, I mean, I, I always find it weird that clubs insist on um, on 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 sticking with this. I mean, even the match report didn't mention Townsend, even though Townsend Andros Townsend for anybody who hasn't, uh, he's been living under a rock for the last week. I thought he looked superb, and you know his fitness levels were not at the level where you'd be kind of, you know, it, it felt like he was properly match fit. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm. you kind of go, well, there's fitness levels because he's playing for a contract, et cetera, et cetera. But his intensity was good. I mean, he had a shot for the second goal, which the rather hapless Benfica um, sub-goalkeeper spilled for for Ekdal to, to seize upon from six yards out. Um but I tell you what, on that showing, I think he's 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 worth you know. Listen, he's not going to cost us anything, you know. His wages probably won't be the cheapest, but I think if if he can keep as fit as he is doing, and he as he looked the other night, I think he's worth a he's got to be worth a twelve month contract. It's an interesting one that he certainly looked like he was uh, playing for his contract, you know, playing for his place. Yeah. He was he was he was fired up for that game, wasn't he? And 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 really making some contributions. Uh, very left-footed, of course, as we knew. But, you know, yeah. there were a couple of times he went down the right and, and cut in back onto his left foot. But then he did deliver good crosses in there. Um, yeah, I thought he was hugely impressive. Anyone else uh, catch your eye in, in, in these games? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Ekdal. You know, I mean, he starts the move that leads to his, his goal, the second goal, coming out of defence. We know he can do that. I mean, we're just blessed at the minute with defenders who can walk the ball out of... Out of um, you know, out of defence, Bear we know can do it. Alda Keel can do it. Um, Ekdal can do it, and I think that is that's going to be really important. Uh, young Dodgson, I thought he struggled first half a little bit with with perhaps some of the intensity and the pace, but he was playing at Rochdale last season. Um, but he switched to right back second half in in place of Alda Keel, and I thought he looked pretty good. Twine, you know, he's had a couple of decent games. He's, you know, looked busy and things like that. I just worry whether he's strong enough. Um, and I know it's not universally kind of, um, you know, popular, but I actually didn't think Vegos was that bad in the first half against Benfica. A couple of half chances, which he was perhaps a little bit caught on his heels rather than his toes to get onto. Yeah. But he's back late from, you know, back late to pre-season training. He certainly looked a lot more kind of part of the group than perhaps some of them early videos that we saw. Obviously, you know, booed at Genk by all accounts and, um, you know, jeered for, for every touch. I, I still stick by the point I made a couple of weeks ago. He won't be here for the start of the season. You know, I'm, I'm almost certain. I think company will have seen enough in them first two appearances to suggest that he's perhaps not the kind of person who's going to fit into the system he wants to play. Um, but I didn't think he was that bad against Benfica. A lot of people said he looked disinterested or didn't look sharp enough. 
essentially only had about a week of training beyond, you know, behind him. So, you know, perhaps to be expected. Yeah, I don't think he looked sharp enough, but I wouldn't say he wasn't interested. I think that's people projecting mm. things onto him yeah, a little definitely. bit there. But uh, interesting one. Well, Justin, yeah, I mean, watching those games, um, the Benfica one in particular, where mm. it, it's pretty amazing that uh, the game wasn't broadcast in the UK or anywhere outside of Portugal, but it seems almost every Burnley fan who wanted to was able to, to watch that. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, so we all we all watched it. Um, what were your impressions of uh, the Clarets in action against Benfica? I, I thought it was, for a start, it was brilliant to be talking about actual football, isn't it? instead yeah. of talking about all these transfer rooms and stuff and seeing seeing some of these players that we've been talking about on the pitch i mean you've got to you've got to really approach it with the usual caveats that it's just a pre-season friendly and although it was against strong opposition I'd, i i'm pretty sure that the burnley lineup um wasn't the lineup that we're going to see take the field against manchester city um, no but you know the bottom line was it was a good performance against a strong team, wasn't it? And, and I, 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 there weren't many players in the lineup who didn't, you know, do themselves a lot of favours when it comes to that first selection. Um, particularly impressed by the way they defended. Particularly impressed by Alder Kiel. I thought had a great game. He was playing out of position, wasn't he, at right back? So yeah, played um, very he, well. He performed very well. Ekdal performed very well. Dara O'Brien was pretty solid in the mid. I mean, it was just a solid performance all around. One or two, one or two players were a little bit more anonymous than you would have expected them to be. But you know, like I say, it's a preseason friendly, and it's not going to be clicking on day one, is it? No, it isn't. But it was, it was a pretty solid display. I thought. I agree with you, Chris. What were your impressions? Yeah, just really, really encouraging. What really sort of a brave and aggressive with the way the way they pressed i mean it's you know the, you're looking at the so, so the, some of the benfica lineup you know, you know di maria you know fresh out of winning a, a world cup you know ramos who scored a, a hat trick in the group stages for portugal and uh mm-hmm. jean mario played but uh they just you know it, it was just fantastic to see someone like you know, owen dodson who's just got relegated to the to the national league with rochdale going toe-to-toe with di maria and not you know not just you know, not, not taking his reputation, just just going just going toe to toe with him, really, and uh, a I say, nice I, I, I as well. terrific finish. Yeah, just a, a night. You know, no matter what happens to him in his in his career in his Burnley career, just you'll never take that away from him. It's you know a goal against uh, you know former European Cup winners, Champions League quarter finalists, etc. But uh, yeah, mm. Alde Keel sort of played in that. Um, Almost that Kyle Walker type role, and he sort of inverted uh, fullback coming inside and uh, making use of his his range of passing, his his recovery pace, etc. Ekdal, I think you know he, the amount of times we we saw it last season how he'll uh, you know start a move and and follow it through, sort of be the one who's you know picking up on a mistake from the goalkeeper. Terrific, you know. The, Spoilt for choice at centre half, you know. See, you know, mm-hmm. with with Bayer and uh, I say, you know, still uh, so much competition. You couldn't pick a a central, you know, central defensive two at this stage. I think, and uh, obviously Murich pulled off two 
absolutely sensational saves. You know the you know the the, the, the double save from the headers. You know, yeah. Joe Mario with the, with one of those, and again he's you know a couple of slips with his distribution, but on the whole, his distribution was was a massive asset for Burnley, and that's going to be a a battle royale, isn't it, for the goalkeeping position? Yeah. Well, let's go into that. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that was the most surprising thing that happened on the night, really, that Murich started, you know, in goal because I think. The, the 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 expectation has been, hasn't it, that he's going to leave this summer because we've signed these two keepers and we've just spent a lot of money on Trafford. So why so why play him if he's if he's leaving? Why play him in one of the few preseason friendlies we've got if he's going to be leaving? And I just thought he had a sensational game. He did all the things that he did that that we were praising him for last season. So you know maybe maybe Trafford isn't guaranteed nailed on number one spot, even though we spent all this money. Maybe it is something that. F- for the future and and Murich is going to go toe-to-toe with him I, I think that's a healthy situation for us don't you yeah I do I think I think it's really interesting as well that, that during that game the first sort of 20 minutes or so we were a bit tentative weren't we and then mm-hmm. there was a moment when Murich started coming really off his line and going into that sweeper position and started knocking these passes around and it was almost like he got us playing he got the passing movements yeah. going again yeah. and we started playing that company style of football. As soon as Murich got involved in 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 the play, really, yeah, and he... and the, and the kind of the only thing you need to know about that game and how it panned out is that the two goals were scored from open play by two defenders. That's how sort of aggressive and how on the front foot we were. The other thing that stood out stood out for me in that game was, uh, as we were saying with Greavesy, trialist. I thought trialist. Yeah. <laughs> Andros Townsend really was, like I was just saying there, really playing for his place, playing for a contract, and looked pretty good. I mean, what are, what are our thoughts on Andros Townsend after that display, Justin? I I, I thought he, had, he, he looked like a player who was playing for a contract, trying to earn himself a deal. Um, he looked to me like he still got a, a trick or two up his sleeve. You know, he, he, he beat defenders... Uh, several times with some uh, some really tricky stuff, and he, he just looked he, he looked engaged. He looked like he was enjoying himself, mm. and um, you know he should be given one. He should be given a contract on that showing. I, apart from what he can bring on the pitch, he can bring a lot off the pitch as well. Helping these the, you know these young players who've never quite a lot of the players we've got have never played in the Premier League, so they they will need that sort of level of guidance off the pitch. But from what I saw. You know, against Benfica, he's got a lot to offer on the pitch as well. And I, Absolutely. you know, I really, I hope they they can, uh, you know, tie it down this week before somebody else gets gets hold of him. Yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of now, Santi yeah. Chris. He's he's got that little bit of. Just it looks him, yeah, well, he's got that. We've obviously, you know, he's he's experienced at the top level in international. You know, he was one of the one of the pundits in the World Cup. You know, he's he's, he's got that sort of, uh, you know. Ability to uh, uh, you know analyze and uh, you know look at a game from that perspective as well. But it, I just thought he looked really lithe, really fit. You yeah. know, obviously he's, he's had he's had that you know the issue, issue he could do absolutely nothing about. You know, he had the had the knee injury that sort of uh, killed his time at Everton because he'd done all right at Everton in that uh, that early early spell before then. But we all know that uh, that's so we we talk about you know that the. the 
the, the, the Saka's coming inside and Salah coming inside and you know what they're, they're going to do and it's hard to stop. And he, he's got that sound and you know he's going to come in onto his left peg and uh, he's going to unleash. <laughs> and he, you know, one of the goals came, he wasn't the greatest shot in the world, but the, you know, the goalkeeper's made a rick and, and you scored a goal. And, you know, you remember the effort, he, you know, absolutely magnificent goal he scored against Burnley uh, season before last when he'd been anonymous in the game. And uh, that you might need that once or twice this, this coming season, but, you know, Burnley maybe don't see as much of the football. You're under a pump and you need someone who can, just pull something like that out out of the bag, really. It's a yeah, great pro, and uh, it just a no-brainer, really, to bring him in, uh, you know, on, on a Freeman's. Yeah, I think we all agree on that one. Um, one, there were a couple of things that that uh, got, I think, got exposed a little bit against Benfica. Now, maybe exposed is too strong a word, but sort of food for thought, really. I thought this, the fact that we do need another central midfielder, I thought, did come through a little bit in that game. Um, you know, there were moments where it's, it's, we saw this last season a couple of times as well, where Jack Cork does get sort of turned quite easily and can't sort of, he pulls, you know, he gets, picks up them yellow cards as he did mm. against Benfica for pulling somebody back. You know, that's an area that we haven't brought anyone in, in yet um, that I think, I think needs to be addressed. I mean, we've talked about uh, Lukonga has been a possibility from there and it seems to have gone quiet, that one. Um, I haven't heard anything about a central midfielder. There's Vrank as well, who Sasha Tavalieri was talking about for that position. Yeah. But it did look a little bit with, you know, that midfield, no Cullen, obviously, but with JBG and, and Jack Cork, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the sort of strongest central midfield, really, was it, Justin? No. I, well, Scott Twine was in there as well, wasn't he? I, That's I'm, right, yeah. I'm pretty sure we're not going to start with that, those two in the centre midfield, but you know, there's no Brownhill as well either. So we've, we've got, Correct. we, we have got, we have got a couple of options who you might consider to be, you know, first team regulars next season who weren't playing in that game. Cullen Stretch, and Brownhill really. Yeah. Cullen and Brownhill. I mean, we, it was a bit of a strange formation, I thought, because we seemed to be playing like a bit of a four, four, two, didn't we? It was like almost back to the, the back to the, the dash days with, Fergus and Rodriguez sort of playing up front. I, I didn't sort of detect that either one of them was particularly coming deep and playing in that sort of number ten role. Um, but I, and I, and I'd be surprised if we line up like that when it comes to it. But it's interesting that he's he's sort of experimenting with that sort of thing, isn't it? Well, Jay was very deep. He was almost like a like a centre mid, Jay, which. Uh... It's if you know that when well, you say that, that Vegos great success, you know, in, in terms of his initial period at Burnley, that, those first four, four or five games, it's when he 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 was the one who was dropping dropping deep, and uh, he I say that he's got that ability to sort to to take you up the pitch, whether that's by you know back to goal or or, or sort of driving with the ball in those areas and. Uh, you know, if you remember him sort of playing Jay in to score against Manchester United, it's uh, I, I would have preferred to have seen it the other way around, if if anything. But uh, I'll say you, you're not gonna, I don't, you're not gonna see a Burnley side as light as that in terms of physicality. I think in in the Premier League, you know, we went, we went for the the technicians really rather than the you know the the you know the ball winners. I, see, I, I saw a. It was a bit of a sky thing, a bit of a poll the other day. You know who's going to you know win most uh, most challenges in the Premier League this season, and uh, it a different type 
of player now maybe and deployed differently by Burnley. But Josh Brownhill was usually one of those who was you know top of the interceptions, to, you know top of the uh, you know the, the 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 tackles won sort of table. And uh, yeah, I think he, he, he could give Burnley that bit of bite, but they, they need someone else in and around him, don't they? Really. I think they do. I think I think they, they must be looking at someone. You feel like you want somebody who's a more physical presence there, you know, just somebody who's who's maybe you know six foot tall, bit of muscle on them, mobile, get up and down, get about, break things up a little bit. Somebody who can go and win the ball and give it to Cullen to start distributing. I mean, they're, they're hard to find those players because because every team wants a player like that, don't they? Weghorst, we did mention Weghorst there. Obviously, uh, the Genk game, um, I didn't see anything other than a few highlight clips. Um, but um, we do know from from obviously the reports that came out and were all over social media that Weghorst was uh, booed onto the field by a section of the Burnley support and booed whenever he touched the ball as well, which caused a big debate online about whether that's the right way to go about things and justifiable or not. From the fans, I mean, what do we think about that, Justin? Well, I just don't know what the point of it is. What, what, what's? I mean, we all want Burnley to do well, don't we? You know, and and booing an individual player, whoever it is, has naturally got to work against that, hasn't it? Uh, uh, I just don't understand what the expected outcome is that, <laughs> that people are looking for. Or they were looking to make him feel unwelcome so he doesn't want to stay. Well, I'm not sure whether that is going to de- determine whether he, he remains or not. It's going to be more likely whether we get a decent offer for him, isn't it? I just think of all of all the outcomes for Vegos this season, every Burnley fan must want him to score, stay and score 20 goals and fire us into Europe. So, Well, it's not going to happen, is it? Well, <laughs> it's not going to happen if they keep booing him, is it? That's That's for sure. Or, or at least that's not going to help, is it? It just seems to be the height of stupidity, booing your own players. I mean, to, you know, boo, boo opposition players, you know, fair enough, that's fair game. But booing your own players, I mean, it's, I, I know it's only a pre-season friendly and I'm not sure whether whether it would happen in a, in a, in a, a game that counted. But I just, I'm not, I don't know what these people are thinking. What, what do they, what do they want to happen as a result of that? Well, I mean, I could see I would... if, yeah, if, yeah, go on, sir. Go on, Chris. Go on, Chris. No, they're saying if I, I, I think it's it's obviously down to if he stays put, you know, we'll, we'll not hear any of that. But I, I just think you are inevitably going to get some sort of backlash. And I, I've seen some people say, well, Ben May left, left Burnley in the lurch, and Nathan Collins and Tarky and Dwight McNeil, and you know, different. You know, they, they, these, are, these are players that have given, you know, years and years of loyal service to Burnley. And, uh, you know, and we, we all understand that, you know, the, the, the premise was, you know, Louis van Aal wants him to, to play top-tier European football, to be at that level, to go to a World Cup. And, uh, you know, so be it. But I think you can't just report him back after you've sort of like, you know, sold your soul to, you know, he, could, he couldn't have put himself further in the shop window for Manchester United in terms of like his, his desire to stay, which you can't blame anyone for wanting to, to play for Manchester United. But to, to come back in to Turf Moor after the hard work's been done, you know, you've left when you've been relegated, you come back when, you know, the lads in the dressing room, blood, sweat and tears have got, got, got you promoted back to that level. 
yeah. I, I could understand there's a, there's there's a bit of you know a bit of an a narkiness around it to be honest, but I'm I'm sure it'll dissipate. And if it, obviously if he stays beyond August, they'll be you know fully behind him providing he puts it in, and uh, you know we we get a shift out of him. I to be honest, he... we didn't we didn't get a shift out of him uh, against Benfica, did we? Really? Let's be honest. I mean, he only played that first forty five minutes, didn't he? But I mean, let's be honest. If he was a trialist, I'm not sure we'd all be sitting there going. Give that man a contract, would we? Good I mean, he, did, he, he was tidy. He did a couple of tidy bits and pieces, didn't he? But he wasn't. Um, he wasn't he really on the pitch. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that could be a first. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, I, I think to be honest, the whole Vegos thing. I think we've talked about this before, and 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 you know, we work in the media, and so you know, we we understand how the PR game works as well, right? Even if well. Chris, you, you're working in that field a bit now. But we know as journalists, I'm dealing with PR people every day. I'm dealing with clubs over the years who've had to have PR strategies to deal with difficult situations. And how Burnley have handled Vegos returning is, is, is almost a textbook case of how not to deal with a difficult situation. Because you have to confront it up front. I think the moment he walks through the door at Burnley back to training, if the goal is for him to stay at the club, and be a part of the team, and that really is what's going on, then you have to sit down and put out a video or an interview where he says, this is what happened, this was a misunderstanding, this is why I did it, this is what I want to achieve, I'm 100% behind the manager and the team, I apologise to the fans if there was any misunderstanding there, it was a World Cup, I was desperate to play in it, look at me, I played against Argentina, that wouldn't have happened if I'd have been playing in the Championship there's a whole narrative he could put out there that I think most reasonable people would say, mm, fair enough, you know, especially if it came along with like a very clear commitment to doing the right thing now. And they haven't done that. They put out a little mm. video that was very flippant about him coming back to the club. And I think that inflamed the opinion that was there from fans who who maybe have gone over the top in their criticism of him leaving the club in that fashion, maybe haven't been understanding because... Let's face it, Burnley Football Club agreed to that clause in his contract. So you can certainly justify what he did, mm. but it hasn't been communicated properly at all. And if he is going to stay, it has to, it's still not too late to do that now. But they don't seem to be doing that kind of thing of, of like, listen, you know, and maybe this is a positive from the booing. I mean, I've never booed a Burnley player when I've been a fan at Burnley or anything growing up, even with some of the awful players we had, you know, in the dark <laughs> days of the fourth division, I don't remember, you know, I didn't like it when someone like Peter Hampton got booed or something like that. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit well with me. But if anything positive could come out of it, it might be to force the club to address the issue and to do something and realise that, oh, yeah, we do have a problem here. You know, we have to mm -hmm. deal with it. Who knows what the problem, the bigger and the more important problem in the dressing room, though, you know, with the situation with what went on with Connie Roberts and there's been reports, Andy Jones in The Athletic said that, you know, there was a feeling that uh, Vegos was a bit arrogant or that's mm. how his behaviour was interpreted. That needs to be sorted out. But, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the only person who's got the answer to any of this is Vincent Company, isn't he? It's up to him, isn't it? If he wants to keep him or if he, you know, he wants to let him go. it's I don't see, you can't, you can't sort of definitively say, yeah, 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 we, we, he's back in the building and we're delighted to to have him back and, uh, you know, hopefully can score a few goals. If, if he doesn't impress company, 
in the in training and in the you know the bits of preseason games he gets, he's not going to feature. And if he don't feature, I, it's almost one of the we all let's say like Justin says, we all want him to sort of pull on the shirt and start you know scoring goals at the rate he was scoring goals in in Germany with Wolfsburg. But uh, you, you look at things, you almost wish one of these Saudi clubs had just turned up and said, right, we'll give you we'll give you twenty million quid, and we go, thanks very much, and uh, move on. There's an awful lot of players in that category at the moment, isn't there? Where I'm sure this club sat there going, you know what? Ali Tiad, you give us a call. Yeah. But um he did that. I mean, but that also raised as well, you know, seeing seeing Red Ghost and Jay up the middle, and we know that's not going to happen against Manchester City, but there's still that number nine question, isn't there? I mean, Zeki came on in the second half and didn't really make much of an impact. Um, I didn't think anyway. I mean, anyone think that he did? No, he was very quiet, wasn't he? I, I, he? He didn't really. I don't. He probably didn't. He didn't have time to impress, did he? I, no. Let's be honest. No. It? You know, you, you can't expect him to come out of the blocks uh, on his on his debut, a few days after signing, and and sort of blow everybody away. Not at um, all. So we'll just have to see how that one develops. But uh, whether he's whether he is that number nine, the jury's still out, isn't it? Uh, last week we said uh, he's not he's not an out and out goal scoring number nine target man striker, is he? Which is the sort of thing that we we need in that position. But uh, you, you, you know, he, he, it's too early to judge on that that performance, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there are, there were signs of people people uh, who watched the Genk game. Um, who were there, did say that Foster showed up really well in that game. He didn't feature against Benfica, but I think he started, didn't he, against uh, mm-hmm. Genk Foster at number nine. And mm-hmm. and the reports were that that he, he looked as good as he has done for us. So, I mean, that's a bonus. If he can really get going, I mean, he he, he obviously is the person for that position, isn't he? But yeah. nothing that happened last year indicated he's, he's a Premier League level number nine. No, there's something there, isn't there? He's got, uh, like I say, that that ability to drive with the ball and, and you know and, and and dribble with it, which you know, you know could come in uh, could come in handy. But little flashes, but but not enough. So we remains to be seen how far, how long uh, Oberfemi's out. But uh, sort of the encouraging signs the last few days, the sort of noises are that that you know the, this teller thing's going to uh, sort of amplify before before the end of the window and. Uh, it's it might be one of those where he, where, where, you know, a, a lovely kid where, where, where he's just got to dig his heels in, a la Ben Gibson, and mm. behave out of character and force a move with some, you know, erratic behaviors, shall we say? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah there's, a, there's, a, there's a bit of a meme going on online, isn't there, with photographs of him looking really miserable in a Southampton kit. And then <laughs> juxtaposed with a with photographs of him beaming from ear to ear <laughs> in a Burnley shirt. I mean, I think we well. I mean, the thing is, like we were saying in one of our podcasts, that like he's he was the top smiler last season in, in the championship, <laughs> yeah, wasn't he? His expected smiles were uh, were a stat we were talking about with him, and he does he does look miserable in them photos. Of course, I'm sure there's a bit of selective editing going on there, but <laughs> of course, but, uh, that would be fantastic if he came back. You know, I mean, but even then, is he an out and out number nine in the Premier League? Tell her. No, I so we don't have an out and out number nine. No, I mean he operated in a in a couple of different roles, didn't he? Sort of, you know, wider wider forward and 
couple of times through the middle and uh, I see he'll, he'll score he's got enough pace and enough about him to think I think he'll score goals given given the adjustment of you know if he was to put you know perform uh, regularly at Premier League level but I just think that'd give I mean I, I think most Burnley fans are very very pleased with the business so far but if you were to land him say you know the week of the city game I think that'd give the the club and the fan base a massive boost oh yeah absolutely I mean the, the business is going on and, and we've brought in um Jacob Brun Larson another winger which has set off a few fans with what another winger um, and there has been a bit of a sort of he isn't one of those signings that's got people really excited, is it, really? But um, that's probably a bit unfair on him coming in after after some, you know, signings like Trafford and Amdouni where, you know, really intriguing signings, as we said, you know, signings that get your imagination going. Um, but, you know, a player from the Bundesliga, a Danish international, it's not a bad signing on the surface, is it? I mean, look, the, the amount of wingers argument and people saying, well, I mean... If you look at last season, there was an awful lot of games where he switched both wingers, didn't he? You know, we're living the five sub era, don't we? So, you know, if you if you're playing with two wingers and you're going to take them off when they're tired and bring on Benson or take off Benson and 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 do those rotations that he did during the game, that's four wingers you're using in a match, right? Mm-hmm. You throw in throw in the fact that probably one of them is going to be injured at any given time in the season, possibly a suspension here and there. And having six wingers isn't really as excessive as it sounds, is it? No. And I said a couple of them could play in that 10 role as well, can't they? So, uh, you know, you, you, you know, Johan might come inside, you know, think, you know, things like that. And uh, I see at the, at the end of the day, I mean, he, he, I mean, it sounds like he's, he, he struggled a little with injury, but he, he's obviously had time with, uh, with Vincent to Anderlecht. But uh, I was reading an article about, uh, you know, he's, he's, Sort of earlier period at, at Dortmund, when he you know he came through the uh, the youth setup and broke into the first team, and he was playing uh, with Jaden Sancho and, and Marco Royce in like a like a three, and mm. I mean I'd, I'd love to have seen that the, the the three of those together absolutely lightning, but they reckon uh, Brun Larson was quicker, the, you know the quickest of the three. Now if really? we're talking, you need pace at you know. The one thing that we've really struggled with in the Sean Dyche era at this level is pace at this level. And my way, mm. if you're quicker than Sancho and Marco Royce, you'll do for me. <laughs> yeah, and also it's he, the the key thing about about Bruno Larson is that company knows him, doesn't he? He's played for him before, so you know he he he's not one of these that's been plucked out of uh, out of thin air. Uh, and if 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 company sees something in him, don't forget it's just a loan as well, isn't it? We haven't bought him, so it, you know it's not like uh, we've invested any cash in any sort of long term future. But if company knows him and trusts him and and thinks he can get something out of him, then that's uh, uh, also it doesn't use up what it doesn't use up one of our English loans, does it? So there's still sort of room for Matson and Taylor Howard Bellis because I don't think we've got any loan players in yet from from any English sides, have we? No, it is a loan, but I think uh, it's got the mandatory purchase element in there. Although no, I, do, I do wonder, after that Koulibaly deal fell through and it was because we were arguing about the mandatory purchase part of it, I do wonder, as ridiculous as it sounds, whether these mandatory purchases are as mandatory as they sound, you know, is are they, are they mandatory with a get-out clause in there, you know, that if, if we go down or if he doesn't make a certain number of appearances or, 
I don't I don't think they're always, from what I understand, as mandatory as they it's you know, you you take him on one year loan and then you've got to sign him no matter what. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe why we didn't sign Kulibali. I mean, Chris, you, you you've yeah. looked at these kind of deals in the past. I mean, I don't think they are as tied on always well, as they uh, sound. As you as you say, there could be all sorts of little uh you know, sub clauses and, and and so on and so forth. But uh, but but looking at Matson, you know, he's uh, just reading the quotes from um, Mauricio Pochettino. You know, he's uh, so far Ian Matson is in my plans. He's a clever player. He's uh, you know, I'm I'm so happy with him. He can play in different positions. And uh, you know, whether oh, yeah. that push, push whether push comes to shove and. Uh, you know, he's he has got a you know a, a number of options in that area. You know, the senior first team options, but uh, and whether he's just he thinks, trying. He's yeah, just trying to get, get his price, season price in the Premier League. Twenty million. That's all he's doing. He's trying to squeeze that extra <laughs> five million. Yeah. Although if Owen Dodgson plays as well as he did the other night, we might not need him. It's a step up and half, though, isn't it, from Rod, from bottom bottom of League Two. To uh, like you, I think I, I love I love stories like that, and I love you know that you know that'll be one for uh, for the scrapbook telling his kids about for forever to come. But uh, it, I think I would I think imagine he, he needs a loan somewhere else first again, doesn't he? I think it's his mum on Twitter. There's somebody <laughs> with it with yeah. his name mm. who's who's very supportive of him, and uh, yeah, tweeted a lot of things. So I suspect she'll have a scrapbook on the go, definitely, but. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's a funny thing about players like that, though. You're right, he's just been playing for Rochdale and then suddenly he's playing against Benfica and, and, and we're discussing whether he might feasibly be able to cope with the Premier League. It's funny how players react when they're around better players, though. I mean, I've just seen this in, in Miami with, uh, you know, players playing with suddenly a team that was bottom of the league, um, having Busquets and Messi come into the team. And there's a lad at Inter Miami, Robert Taylor, who, despite his name, is Finnish, who Phil Neville was playing him as like a wing back, and he was in and out of the team. He was on the bench most of the time. And now he's playing left side of a front three with Messi on the right, and he scored three goals in two games. Looks an absolute world beater. And he's the exact same bloke and footballer, but you put him <laughs> in context. And obviously, Dodgson playing for Rochdale with the kind of options he'd have when he's got the ball at his feet are going to be really different. I mean, it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility that a player like that can raise the game and, and cope. I mean, not you wouldn't want to be throwing him in against Man City on day one, but I don't think he did himself any harm with that display against Man City. He didn't, he did, definitely didn't. And, and, you know, company wouldn't have thrown him in there if he didn't want to at least have a look at him and see what he was capable of, would he? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of interesting. I say there's the sub, the sub that came on was it? The sub that came on uh, is it? Jez Davies is uh, yeah. It's one of the mm. AI scout, one of the AI scout discoveries, isn't he? So an interesting one there. I mean, it, if it, if that was to come to fruition, yeah, the ex Chelsea, yeah, if that was to come to uh, fruition, it'd be a nice little story, a nice little uh, boost again for the for the for the chairman's little uh, you know software plan there. Hmm. Yeah, the other the other signing that's come in this week is uh, Luca Collishaw, who we we talked about a little bit last week. Um, I wanted to find out a bit more about him because he's an intriguing character, born in born in the United States and eligible for three or four different countries. Um, only played uh, a handful of games for Espanyol's first team before coming over to Burnley. Um, 
So I spoke to uh, Brian Sharetta, who's an American journalist who uh, specializes in following the fortunes of American players when they go to Europe, writes for American soccer now, and uh, as for years has really been uh, following all the American and Canadian players who've who've been popping up in Europe and, and written about some of the players like Christian Pulisic and, and, and so on before they became big stars. And... Uh, me and Greavesy sat down with him and picked his brains a little bit about Luca Koloshoi. So, Brian, thanks for joining us. Um, Luca Koloshoi's moved to Burnley. A lot of people interested by it. Obviously, a player born in the United States who you've tracked. But there's not a lot of information out there, not a lot of videos for people to look at to get a, a feel for him like they do with, with other signings that Burnley have made this summer. What kind of player should uh, Burnley ex- expect to see when, when Luca Koliesu pulls on the Claret and Blue shirt? Yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's an attacking winger. Um, you know, he, he's straight up really is very aggressive, very athletic, quick. Um, you know, he can cut inside, though, and hit shots from a distance. Um you know, he's an explosive player. I think, um, you know, the, the people I know, at least at the youth level, um, have rated him quite highly, you know, and now it's a question of taking that and um, and, and moving moving up the forward to, like, the, the senior team levels on a more consistent basis. But um, everyone, you know, who rates him, talks about him, evaluates him as players, starting with youth national team coaches, you know, they, they all like him and, uh, you know, and he progressed really quickly over there in Spain. Um, you know, he, it wasn't, he was breaking through barriers very quickly, moving U18s, U19s, you know, that level quickly. Yeah. And he, he's a player, obviously on his international, uh, front, he's played for the U S at under 15 level, I believe. And, and now he's with Italy's under 19. I also read that he was called up to a camp for the full Canadian national team, who he's also eligible for, but he didn't he didn't uh, take part in that, or he certainly hasn't been capped by Canada. What mm-hmm. indication do you have about where he sees his future in terms of like his national team commitments? Yeah, I mean, he when he went to those Canadian camps the the, the last summer, um, yeah, he, the the goal was you know he didn't want to put himself in a cap tying situation with them. You know, he was still you know playing the field as we like to say. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's got, uh, his, it's all through his mom, um, who was born in Canada, but, uh, her parents are from Italy. Um, that's how this, that's how the, the, the situation came. I know the U S was talking to him very heavily from the highest levels, um, uh, to him to keep him in the system. There was, there was, I even heard, um, you know, a rumor that Greg Berhalter was on the phone with him, trying to you know convince him to play. Um, but understanding though that the avenue would be through the USU twenties first, and then um, uh, Italy was was after him pretty um, sincerely for their U nineteen team. And then last March he had to make a choice: U um, twenty World Cup or U nineteen levels with Italy, um, and he went with Italy. Uh, do I do it's it's still not permanent, but he, he can only leave if he wants to file a one-time switch. Um, and uh, my my guess is that he's going to go with Italy as long as he can go. And then um, if that doesn't lead him to the senior team, then maybe he'll start seeing the if the U.S. or Canada are interested. Um, uh, if they're still interested, if he's good enough for them too. I mean, he's still got a long ways to to get to get to that level. 
But um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, Italy first, U.S. second, Canada third. Yeah, just interested in his, he, you know, his kind of um, footballing backstory in that respect. I think he, um, he obviously played quite a bit um, at a couple of teams on the East Coast, I think in America. And then um, I think he said he'd been with um, Espanyol since he was kind of 15 or 16. Is, is that a fairly well-trodden path for, for a lot of young Americans coming over to Europe? They, they kind of start in these feeder clubs. I know in England, we've got kind of certain parts of the country where lots of players develop what do you see is is a very typical pathway to to where he's landed now at Burnley no it's more of a of a pathway that you would have found more common 10-15 years ago Um, most of it most of the paths kind of start in MLS through the academy system and then you then you negotiate a sale over you know abroad um you saw that obviously Brendan Aronson and Tyler Adams and you know Canada. You had Alfonso Davies. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot of good, um, you know, people taking that route. And then some of the more well-connected players sometimes find ways to bypass it, like Tim Weah and um, uh, Gio Reyna. Um, funny enough, is that is that he kind of comes from the same uh, background clubs. You know, his paths crossed with Gio and um, James Sands. Um, in that New York scene, um, New York, Connecticut, kind of a scene. Um, so that's kind of his contemporary, his peers. But to kind of get overseas before you're, you know, 16 years old, 18 years old, you need that passport, right? You need the, the, the foreign passport, and, and that's kind of like. Um, and then not everyone wants to slug it out in the um, in the academy routes over there. They'd rather make real money as a homegrown and then work a sale over, abroad. So, you know, as MLS has improved substantially and its academies have gotten much better, um, you don't find this route as uh, as common. But, you know, he's, um, you know, he's kind of blazing his own path. I always got the sense that he's kind of like a real trailblazer here and, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, you know, and, and re- wanting to do his own thing and, and make make use of the resources he has to do that. Yeah. You mentioned a, a kind of a scene, New York, Connecticut. I'm always fascinated by these kind of ecosystems that, that evolve in, in places, whether it's football or any sport, really. And mm-hmm. I think the American ways, you know, the American sports system is kind of set up for this. Is that somewhere where you see Premier League clubs, perhaps with American influence like we've got at Burnley, perhaps bypassing that stage where they've got Luca from in terms of letting somebody else pick him up in Spain? Is there enough talent in those pools that actually Premier League clubs might start to get interested a bit like Espanyol clearly were to to bring him over to Europe that way? Yeah, well, he he didn't go directly to, you know, Espanyol. He was with Royce first um, and then and then he moved to Espanyol once he was at a lower level in Spain. Um, you know, I just think he wanted just to be abroad and even was willing to start at very low levels to do that. And then, you know, most of his climbing was over there. He didn't just land at a big club. Um, you know, I think he, he, you know, he's one of these things where he had a youth coach who had a contact back there and, and, um, he really wasn't scouted more or less. He was kind of introduced and then got on the plane and, and went, there's a lot of talent here. But yeah, I, I do think it's you know it, it's tough though for you know to try to pull, a, pull an American kid away at, at a very young age to to you know just to join academy roots. I think 
every player I speak to wants to end up in the, at the highest level as possible. And, you know, that's in, you know, the champions league level clubs and stuff like that too. But more and more the, the players kind of see MLS as a, as a, as an important step that's, that's going to help them get there, you know, and, um, you know, just look at the, like some of the teenagers that are on inner Miami now, like there's now, there's now, you know, millions of people watching their games. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's, uh, it is interesting. Um, I, I, there, there always are going to be in a country of 330 million people, um, uh, people f- taking some different routes here too. But you know, this kind of comment, the the bypassing MLS and trying to hope that you you're with one of those small youth only clubs here, and, and as your first step, as your last step in the United States before you make that move abroad. Um, yeah, it, it, it is, it still happens, but it's not nearly as common. And Brian, last thing in terms of, in terms of his, his style of play, who, is there anyone you can think of from what you've seen of him, who, who he compares to? I mean, he's, is he very much a sort of the modern winger as, as like a wide attacker, you would say, like somebody who's playing inside left as well as outside left or, or yeah i mean in terms of you know i haven't watched all of his full games over there in the academy levels um in spain sure uh, i've seen a lot of the highlights and i've seen some extended clips you know and i see him do cutting center quite a bit um and, and making plays there too um so you know it, it comes down i think he you know he likes to kind of um he's versatile but he's you know he's um he is explosive, uh, I think, but I do think he, you know, he does like to, I mean, do I want to say he's like your typical American, you know, like a, a Pulisic or a Wea? I mean, obviously not at that level, but, you know, I, I, there are some comparisons there to, to like a, to a Pulisic level um, player. Uh, you know, I, I think he likes to crack it from distance more than, 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 than uh, Christian does when he cuts center. I think, uh, you know, the, I think the Burnley is going to be happy with them. Um, you know, again, it's a, uh, you know, it took some scouting here too, but what's impressed me the most is just how quickly he jumped from one level to another in Spain. Like, like he never really lasted a full season because they were like, okay, he's ready for the next level. He's ready for the next level. He's ready. He, he was, he was moving really, very quickly. And um, that's something that's important that you want to see at a, at a player who's 17, 18 years old. Absolutely, and that's exactly the kind of thing that, from what we've had conversations with other people, Vincent Company, Burnley's coach, looks for that in players. The players he's brought in from Belgium, for example, like Anas Zarouri, who probably plays in the position that that you're talking about for for Luca, um, has made those rapid progressions. Other players have too. They've just rapidly jumped through through the levels. So that's going to be interesting. Thanks very much indeed, Brian, for that insight. Uh, I'm sure everyone listening is uh, interested to to learn those things, and uh, we look forward to seeing uh, Luca uh, playing for Burnley soon. Thank you very much, guys. So, yeah, fellas, I mean, he's an interesting one, isn't he? I mean, it, it, it does sound from what Brian's saying there that, uh, you know, he's a player that that might have the potential to be more than a development player this year. So listening to listening to Vincent Company discuss him on uh, it was after after Saturday's game, and he, he that word again pace. I think uh, Simon mm. Crabtree from the club has said, you know, what does he give you? And he's like, pace, 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 pace. So uh, it's uh, I see again he's got you know you know good uh, good back you know good background hasn't he? So uh, it's just a case of him you know as he was starting to sort of you know kick. 
into the you know the first team picture at Espanol whether he can do similar here. But uh, again, you know that that asset if he's got that lightning pace and it's uh, it's going to serve him well at this level. He mm. does seem to like players, Justin, doesn't he? Company he does seem to like players who've got interesting backgrounds. You know, whether it be you know an Iraqi defender <laughs> playing in Belgium or a Canadian, Italian, Nigerian, American <laughs> playing in Spain. I mean, he does seem to... Do you think wonder, that might be... Is that the criteria that he uses to pick these players out, do you think? No, I just wonder, you know, I mean, he comes from he comes from quite an interesting yeah, background he does, himself, he does. doesn't he? You know, I mean, I just wonder if in his mind, it's a little bit sometimes that, like, if you come from these kind of backgrounds, you've probably got an open mind. You've probably had a little bit of adversity to deal with in your life as well. I, yeah. I wonder if that is a factor. It could be, couldn't it? I mean, all these players seem to have overcome something to get where they are and battle to 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 get this opportunity. So um, maybe maybe in the back of his mind, at least, that's something that he considers. I don't um, I don't know about Colliosho uh, whether he's you know got got that sort of adversity in his background, but he, he you know the, he doesn't he doesn't seem to me like he's been signed. As a, as a development player, they usually say, don't they, oh, he's going to join the development squad or whatever. He looks like he might be on the fringes in and around and be, be given a bit of an opportunity. So it'll be interesting be interesting to see how he shapes up. But, but I think I think Chris he is He got right. a signing video, didn't he? He got a signing video. He did, absolutely. And they don't <laughs> always get that, do they? I, I think it's, it's a, you know, all these players that, that we're talking about now, they've all, they've all got that pace, haven't they, that, that, that Chris was talking about. And I think... I think companies obviously very very aware that um, you know the 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 time and the spaces you get in the Premier League are not going to be the same as the time and the spaces that you get in the Championship. I mean, you could see somebody who's who's got that kind of lightning pace that that he apparently has, and if you've had Zarori on the left and he's been really working their fullback for seventy five minutes and giving him a torrid time, but maybe the score's mm. level. I mean, this happens in the Premier League that we didn't get last season where we can play really, really well, be on the front foot, be doing really well, but be a goal behind or level. And, and you know, it doesn't always go your way, does it? And, and then you can bring on a lad who's just got raw pace up against that tired fullback. I mean, it's just sound an interesting option to have, doesn't it? Very I much mean, so. Very much so. But so talking about Zorori again there as well. So I know, no, you know nothing come to fruition really, but some of his touches against Benfica on mm. Tuesday night, it's a little, there's a little turn on good. the... Not on the byline, and uh, you know mm. he, he just looked absolutely full of it. I just, I'm, I'm he also really for, yeah. he also looked to me like he'd sort of bulked up a bit, or yeah, yeah. I know become, he looked he, he looked like he looked like more of a man than you did last season when he looked like a little a bit of a boy on the playground, didn't he? But he looked he looked a bit sort of more like. Uh, he, he was ready for the battle as well as as well as had all the tricks in the, in his box. Yeah, well, it is it is yeah, it is a more physical I'm just Really league, looking forward to seeing how he impacts it. In. Yeah, I think he's a fantastic footballer, and I think it's interesting. You do wonder as well if companies not said to a few of them, look, you know, you're going into a league here. People talk about the championship being a physical league and all that, and and I suppose it is. But when when you go into the Premier League, it's physical in a different sort of way, isn't it? I mean. When you see these players warming up and you compare what it was like 20 years ago and you see some 19-year-old fullback for uh, a Premier League team and they're just ripped and, and you know, packed with muscle and super fit <laughs> and the, 
you know, it's not like it used to be. And but no. but it's not really like that in the championship either, is it? You can get away so, with being know, a little I can, bit. I can, well, I can I can remember you know, uh, you're going back like you know Adrian Heath really making a point of how how good Andy Cook's physique was, you know. Andy Cook was always like fit as a butcher's dog, Cookie, but uh, he'd uh, yeah he, he he was like sculpted from granite. He was, uh, but uh, yeah, very much every one of them's that way now, aren't they? They're uh, but it's not there's, there's the physical element, but it's, it's the mental element. Like so you, you're going to be the concentration levels at that. At, we 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 witnessed you know Sean Dyche's team. How many times you, you know you gotta be so focused. You know the the, the Bunkered in at times, and you the slightest slip, and you you know an Arsenal or a, you know Liverpool, or whatever, going to kill you. But uh, and mm. and th- th- there is much to be said for like like Sean used to say, going to these stadiums for the first time, and the noise around the Premier League, like he used to say that you know the the pre match pref- press conferences are bigger. Sky want a piece of you before and after every game, and it's. It's just a big every game's like a mega event, even though you you're playing Luton or Brentford or Bournemouth. It's it's painted mm. out to be such a bigger spectacle. And I say if you, if they're going to Stamford Bridge one minute and the Emirates the next, it's just an altogether different different test, isn't it? Totally different. And and we haven't got a lot of players. That's why, you know, going back to what you were saying just in about Townsend um and Redmond as well, you know, that that will be a big asset because you know, if we look through that team, even even some of the players that aren't like raw kids, you know, but players like Ekdo and so on, um, it's and, and and the lads who've come from Belgium, it's nothing like the Premier League. I mean, it's nothing. You know, they're probably coming from Belgian league where you often played in front of ten, twelve thousand fans. Probably the Championship felt like a big stage for a lot of those players, but they don't know what's going to hit them until when they get in the Premier League. I mean, they they know. And, and and but it's gonna it's, it will affect them that first game as even at home even at home against City it's gonna feel a different sort of game that one isn't it mm, absolutely I, I I think that's true but it could work in our favour as well you know the, it, it it's one of those things isn't it where you want these lads to come out and show no fear um and judging by the way they played last season they they they, they won't they won't be overawed by that but it, it is true it is. It is a different ball game that they're playing now, isn't it? And uh, it, it, it's it's useful to have those those old heads who've seen it and done it to say in the dressing room, like, right, lad, lads, let's just calm down and this is this is what we need to do now. Charity Shields in just over a week. You know, it's getting <laughs> it's getting close, isn't it? I mean, let's finish off with this one. I mean, given given you know we've got our fixtures lined up, we've got the games that we're playing. We're still active in the transfer market, but it's getting close now. Yeah. What's what's the city game? The date August. Um, it's two weeks. Two weeks tomorrow. Two it? two weeks away from that. Two weeks tomorrow. Yeah. What what would you say are the absolute priorities that uh, we need to get done in the next two weeks to be in in maximum shape for that game against City? <laughs> Whether it be signings or or anything else. Well, I think we need a left back, don't we? That's something yeah. that, that that's a hole that definitely needs filling. We need to sign Nathan Teller. We need to um, get hold of a good, strong, um, you know, built central uh, midfielder who can challenge for a spot right away. Not not a development player, but somebody who's going to stake a, a claim for a place. Um, and then it will be interesting. Yeah, I think you've, you've absolutely nailed it there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anything else you can think of, Chris? I mean, I think I think Justin's nailed it there. Oh yeah, everyone wants the everyone wants a young Vieira, don't they? <laughs> that sort of box to box uh, physical ball playing midfielder, but uh, I don't think there's many like him anymore, unfortunately. But, no, we, we definitely need that sort of physical, uh, mobile, you know, comf- you know, ball manipulating centre mid. Charlie Taylor, I'm, I'm, you know, he's, he's no mug, and he certainly do a job at left back. But in, in Vincent Company's system, the requirements. You know, he's not going to get to pick and choose when he goes forward like he might have done under Sean Dyche. He's going to be back and forth and back and forth and high up the pitch and, you know, high tailing it back, uh, you know, the the other way sort of thing. So it, it's a huge ask. Ideally, Matson Matson comes in on loan, but uh, it's, I mean, that one might go all the way to the uh, to the end of, end of August. You never know. But I still think, even though, you know, even if Teller comes in, I say I'd, I'd still like to see that out and out number nine. Really, you know, I've been, I've been thinking exactly the same all the way through the window. We need we need that number nine. And again, sorry to give examples from Inter Miami matches, but I'm, I'm watching I'm watching that game, and they've got a striker uh, playing number nine, who people are saying like, oh, you know, he's, he's not he's not that great, and he, he hasn't had a shot on target during the time the two games that Messi's been here and so on. And I'm watching the way they play. And obviously, the way they set up with a Barcelona coach is familiar. It's a similar style and formation. You can tell what they're trying to do. And it, it is similar to the Pep way. And it's it's similar to the company way. And and I'm watching it. And you've got these two. You've got Messi on the right and this lad Taylor on the left who were both playing the socks off. And the number nine, he is a number nine. He's not a big lad, but he he's absolutely plays on the line normally. And he's dropping. Immediately, he's dropping into the hole and playing almost that false nine position. And it did make me start to think, is he that bothered about a big number nine or, or a goal-scoring number nine? Because we've got players who can drop in that hole there, and we've got an abundance of, of wide players who can attack from the left and right. So maybe maybe it's not as big a priority as I was thinking. I don't know. I mean, the way we play doesn't depend on a number nine, does it, Justin? Or am I being optimistic there? <clears throat> Uh, I think we did we did play that way last season, didn't we? we you know, that's why Barnes became the player he did, didn't he? Because because company thought I'll turn him in. You know, he, he's he's going to be my number nine after after J Rod got injured. Yeah. So I think he does want. I think he does want that sort of player. Who doesn't want that that guy who's going to be in in the six yard box tap doing the tap ins? Who doesn't? We need that, don't we? You've got to, you've got to um, you've got to source your goals from everywhere on the pitch. So I think he probably if he could if he could get one, he probably would. But I think the problem is we've got Vegos, don't we? And I think we need to ship him out before we get we can we can get somebody else in. Um because we've already got like two or three players who can play in that position. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think that would be I think that would be number one. If Vegos staying, he's probably going to be you know, vying for that role with Foster, isn't he? Right. Well, that's been a pretty upbeat uh, episode from the BOL. And let's, we haven't had a real whinge about anything, have we? There, there's, there's something else, Simon, that we need to mention. Mission to Burnley. It's got, it's got a release date. That's right. August. August, August the, uh, the 10th. Uh, as if we weren't excited enough for the start of the Premier League season the day after <laughs> August the 10th we can uh, we can indulge in uh, 
three hours plus of the glory of uh, of last season. So it's all been released one as a box set, is it? On... I, I believe so. Yeah. Well, there's four episodes of it, so it's uh, access all areas. It's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because I'm sure that our perception of what went on last season is going to be upended by uh, what's revealed in this. Because I think they're in the they're in the training ground, they're in the dressing room, they're everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, they can either be really, really good and fascinating, these things, or they can be like a bit sort of, I don't know, they can end up being a bit hackneyed and fake feeling, some of them. I mean, I've seen some brilliant ones and some and some pretty poor ones. I mean, it just depends, doesn't it? I mean, is it is it a documentary about Vincent Company and how he turned Burnley around, or is it a documentary about, you know, people from Utah moving to uh, East Lancashire and buying a football club? I don't know which one it is, really. No, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? But it's going yeah. to be, uh, it's going to, it, we're going to be up late that night, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I see, I've seen clips of the Newcastle one, and it's uh, just see, hearing Eddie Howe swear. That's just blown my mind. It's just like, I wouldn't have thought so. Uh, <laughs> little, little, little cherubic uh, angel faced Eddie swearing. I've said, you pro- you've probably seen, have you seen the quarterback one on Netflix, Simon? That was, I thought yes. that was a great scene. Yeah, yeah. No, there's been some yeah. really good ones in American sports. Yeah. I mean, the Hard Knocks series, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. You, you don't like American football, do you, Justin? So you probably no, not watched it. No, I haven't seen but that. But that is a proper fly on the wall. And I actually bumped into one of the lads who worked on it when I was covering uh, a golf tournament. And uh, and I said to him, I said, how do you get that fly on the wall coverage there? I said, because it feels really, like, raw. That's, there's a bit where... Um, they, you know, this time of year, really, just coming up, they come into pre-season camp, the NFL teams, and then they have like 60 or 70 players on the on the squad. And then they cut them um, in, in sort of two or three waves. And it's brutal because there's no guaranteed contract. That's it. You're out of the door. You know, good luck to your son. Um, and, you know, pick up your final paycheck and that's it. And... Um, they also trade people without without any any sort of consent involved. And there's this one lad going in there into into the into the office, and they said, "Right, pack your bags. You're off to Pittsburgh." And he's living in Miami. And he's like, well, can, "You know, can I talk to me, Gran?" You know, he lived with his grandma at the time. He, <laughs> he just completely his life's just changing. And you're watching it, and you think this is brutal, like you know. And the guy said, "Yeah, he literally is the fly on the wall. We've got a hidden camera in there." And everyone forgets it's there. It's amazing. And somebody sits down and watches hour and hour, hours and hours of footage waiting for the golden moments, which is completely mm. different from when you see those, like that Tottenham Amazon one with Mourinho's conversation with Deli Alley that's like looks mm. really staged and stuff. So we'll see. Let's hope there is a bit of fly on wall on it. And uh come, on, we've got to whinge about something. Last thing, awake it. We saw it on the field. <laughs> the awake it. The awake it. Oh. The worst I've ever seen a bit in a bit, you know, Burnley uh... With a Burnley badge on it, <laughs> really? I uh, I got to agree with that. Although I will say this, as with the home kit, the sponsors logo does not do it any favors, does it? I mean, what color is it for a start? Why is it pink? It's 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 and it's massive as well. Um, and I, I'm not I'm not a fan of the uh, the the stripe down the side. Just a simple it's yellow. It's supposed to be a tribute, you know, yeah, tribute to the '94. They say that, don't they? They say that, don't they? But what they've done is they've got a shirt off the peg and they've looked back over the years to see if there's anything even vaguely similar. Claimed claimed there's some sort of it looks more like the 90, you know, the 97 away strip that's you know, the Chris Waddle uh, era. Uh, 
yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that third kit now. I was, you know, I, I budgeted to buy myself a shirt for this season so that I could uh, do the North the American Pirates thing on Saturday morning. You've seen the suggestions of the away, the third strip. You know, you've seen the suggestions of that. If, no, I uh, haven't. Yeah, if you haven't, uh, get on, uh, get on Twitter and Google, and uh, yeah, have a have a bit of fun with that. So, mm. oh, yeah, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> Go on. What, what are we talking about? Black or white or? Well, we're, we're supposed to be uh, it, from what I've you know whether whether it's hundred percent correct or not, but there's a there's a blue and white uh, you know side to it. Shall oh say. come on, we can't not have blue that. And white offs. No, oh, oh come on, we can't, <laughs> we can't have that. We I have seen that. one knocking about with like some zigzags blue and white down one side and then plain white on the other half, and it is a bit too close to a blue and white oh, half. Sure. Mm. I think no, they'd be no, right. No, no, there'd be riots, wouldn't there? There'd be absolute uproar. There was uproar with quarters, weren't there? Never mind, never mind halves. Even if it oh, is, oh yeah, there were people half. with quarters who were like, you know, quarters. It's nearly half. Isn't it? Well, that was <laughs> with, with green the, and black. <laughs> the green and black halves. I, I remember the, the, this was the same one. Someone said in one of the uh, one of the fanzines of the day, was it like dress like clowns, play like clowns? I think that was <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Right, so a relatively whinge-free episode of From the BOLN comes to a close. We'll be back again next week. We'll be talking about the Real Betis game that's coming up uh, on Friday. And, uh, yeah, lots to look forward to. It's drawing closer and closer and closer. Don't forget to follow us on at B-Hole Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, everywhere else. Please do, do leave a rating. I not want to beg for ratings, but it does help us get a little bit of visibility for any Burnley fans who haven't seen us yet, and just bung your mates a WhatsApp and tell them about this podcast because, uh, you know, we've got the season coming. It's all going to be up and running soon, and it's all going to get very, very lively indeed. All the best. Enjoy your football this weekend and speak to you soon. (laughs) 